0: I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2 today. And while you're turning there, I want to just make a little reminder uh, to you that at the conclusion of our service, we're going to have the privilege of hearing from a guest and Pastor Andre is going to be sharing with us what the Lord has been doing in the church that meets after ours Uh, Russian-speaking church, and we're going to hear what's going on there. He's going to offer just a a brief update. So a lot of times when you hear a pastor winding down, you start pulling for your keys and jackets and start thinking about what's going on later this afternoon. Don't do that, (laughs) because uh, it's going to be exciting to hear what God is doing there. Uh, We began last week just to to do what I'm just calling a back-to-basics during this month of January of just returning to some foundational things within Highland Crest. Last week, we just said back to basics, and that is the Word of God, reading the Scriptures, taking it in. Today, I want to hit on this fundamental virtue that we want to be about, and that's humility. As a young boy, I would spend my summers with my older brother in a little community called Reedsburg, Wisconsin. And my dad lived there. And so while he was at work during the day, my older brother and I would get on our little 10 speeds and we would ride across town to the city pool near Webb High. And it was there where we would hone our skills in cannonball and can opener and flips off either the low dive or the high dive. Now in order to get access to those diving boards, you needed to pass a swimming test. Which consisted of swimming three widths of the pool. And you would do that by getting the lifeguard's attention and say, I'd like to, I'd like to take the swim test. And then you would swim, uh, right next to a rope that had little floating buoys on it. And if you could make it three different lengths, then you passed. And then all summer long, you could go off those diving boards. So one year I had done that, and the following year, the next summer, I was ready to do that, quite confident, because I swam off those diving boards the whole last summer. So I went up to the lifeguard and I said, I'm here, it's my first day of the summer here, and what I'd like to do is take that swim test again so I can go on the the diving boards. And and the person said, go right ahead, looks like it's all clear, you need to do three widths, and then you are good for all summer. And so I girded myself up with great self-confidence, dove into the pool, and something amazing happened. I forgot to swim on how to swim. And I, and I began to go across that width, but I was using entirely my upper body, and I forgot to kick. And about half or three-quarters of the way through the width, I realized I am whipped, and there's no way I've got enough energy to make it two more times, and so I with great humility, put my arm over the rope, and I just waited there. And the lifeguard looked and says, Listen, you didn't pass. You have to do it again at another time. Now, an event like that can pretty well ruin a a young boy's social status for the entire summer. (laughs) But it was a good thing for me. I I thought I was so good at a swimmer that I, I forgot something so basic that I needed to actually kick my feet to swim across three different widths. And it wasn't long before I had done that. But nonetheless, there was a lesson learned in humility. And that is, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And humility is something that God values in our life. If I were to ask you, what is the one key virtue that would stop God, what He is doing... And move his gaze and his eyes to you. Do you know what it would be? It would be your humility. Let me read to you. I think it's in your outline. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2 where it says, All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But listen to this. But this is the one to whom I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. The Holman Bible Dictionary said, Humility is a personal quality in which an individual shows dependence on God and respect for other persons. This is something that God delights in us, is when we see that we're not as good as we think we are, We are absolutely dependent on God. And if there's not humility going on in our life, then God can bring humility into your life. I was thinking of that passage in Deuteronomy 8 in which the the people of God were, were wandering in the desert. Let me just read a few verses there from chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. God said to the people, And you should remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and let you hunger and feed you and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But my man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If humility doesn't exist in our life, God may very well allow you to fall into the pool and find out that you are not as good of a swimmer. You're not as good at life as you think you are. Andrew Murray, who wrote a classic book entitled Humility, said this, Humility... The place of entire dependence on God is the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every other virtue. And so pride or the loss of this humility is the root of every sin and evil. God desires, God values humility. So my message today, as we think about the life of our church, let us be a church that has an accurate view of who we are and who God is. We're aware of our sin, and we're aware of God's holiness, and that equals humility. All right? By way of introduction, let me just give you one point here. Humility is required to be a Christian. There's a great beatitude there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, in which Jesus said, Blessed, that is content, happy, joyful. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying here that if one wants to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, then they must know this virtue of humility, of being poor in spirit. Now there's two different Greek words for poor. There's one that doesn't have a lot of stuff. You know, in our culture today, we might say one is poor if they only have one car. They only have two TVs in their house. And maybe they only have one iPad. We might say, now that person is poor. They don't have a lot of stuff. But that's not the concept of this poor here in the Beatitude. There's a second poor, and that is a person that has absolutely nothing. And and Jesus is saying, Blessed, happy, content, fulfilled is the person who realizes they have no righteousness, zilch. They are bankrupt in good deeds before God because it is then when they realize they need a Savior who can save them from their sins. In salvation, we're in a swimming test. Here, swim across this width 10 different times. You jump in the pool and there's a thousand pounds strapped to you, and down you go, and you don't move again. That's our hope of salvation. We need the lifeguard that will come down and bring us up and put air in our lungs, and that is what Jesus did when he went to the cross for us. Let me just offer another illustration of this parable that Jesus taught in Luke 18. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray." One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man, went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Why was this tax collector forgiven? Because he saw his sin as God saw it, and he needed mercy. So true humility involves an awareness of our sin and the holiness of God I remember reading a little book by C.J. Mahaney that said, Humility is a Christian's best friend. The church is a wonderful place to learn humility. I heard of a pastor who, after accepting a call in another church, decided to let his local church know that he was resigning. An endearing older member of the congregation came up to him weeping and said, Things will never be the same. The minister tried to console her by saying, don't worry, I'm confident you will get a new pastor who is better than me. She continued to sob and replied, that's what the last three pastors have said, but they keep getting worse. That's a true story. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know if that is or not. Uh, Let's look at Philippians chapter 2 and I want us to look at verses 1 through 4, and then we'll just make our way through this passage. Not only is humility required to be a Christian, but humility is a way of life for the Christian. Listen to what it says here in Philippians 2. Look at the first four verses. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We see here in the first few verses of Philippians 2 that Paul is appealing to this church and saying, if, if the Lord is really at work in your life, he's not questioning it, but he's just saying, well, if there's, there's is there, let me see love. Let me see affection. Let me see uh, sympathy. Let me see unity within the church. In verse 3, do nothing out of just your own self, but rather have humility and count others more important than yourselves. Not only do we need humility to become a Christian, but once we become that Christian, then it is a lifelong pursuit of knowing who we are and knowing who God is, and that drives humility. And as a child of God, the person no longer is seeking to please him or herself first, but God and others. Roger Staubach, who led the Dallas Cowboys to a Super Bowl, admitted, as quarterback, that there were times that he struggled taking signals from his Hall of Fame coach Tom Landry. You see, Staubach thought he knew a lot about football, and wasn't he the physically gifted one? His coach told him when to pass and when to run, and in emergency situations, and only then could Roger Staubach actually call an audible and his own play, but his pride would well up within him and it would be a problem for him. He had a major decision to make. Would he allow his pride to rule his life and ignore his coach, or would he follow his coach's advice? Staubach later said, I faced up to the issue of obedience, and once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. You see, there was success and victory in this, this quarterback once he realized that the coach knows a lot more than I do. And instead of having this conflict with him, how, how about I just submit to him? In The same way in the Christian life, when we give up rule of our life, we can experience harmony and success. George Miller, this wonderful Christian known for prayer and an orphanage, was once asked the secret of his service. Mueller responded, There was a day when I died. Utterly died. Died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censor. Died to the approval or blame, even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I've studied to show myself approved only to God. Even in the church... This humility is rare. Look what it says. Same chapter, Philippians chapter two. Look what it says in verses 19, 20, and 21. Paul wrote of one of his assistants, Timothy. He said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered up by news of you. Verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Christians, once the grace of God has changed their life, begin a lifelong pursuit of counting others more significant than themselves. And humility sweetens the marriage. It unifies the family. It empowers the workplace and builds togetherness in the church. So then we see here in verses 5 through 8, Jesus is our example of humility. It says there in verse 5, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Yes, we are saved by humility. We are to live this out throughout all of our days. But we have an example of humility in Jesus. And in these verses, we see how he set an example for us. It says there in verse 5, Have this mind, set your mind to who Jesus was and is and his example. Verse 6 says, though he was the form of God. This is a a battleground word here for Bible teachers. Some false teachers have taken it to say that God emptied his deity out, or Jesus emptied his deity out when he came to this earth during the first Christmas. We don't believe that. Jesus preserved his deity. He still was God, but he poured out the privileges of that pre-existence one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It says there in verse 6, He did not count equality with God. Though He was the exact nature of God, He counted others more significant than Himself. It says there in verse 7, He emptied Himself by taking the form of a, a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Even though Jesus is, was, God, he took the form of a lowly Jewish baby and lived among us. It says there also in verse 8, being found in human form, that is an outward shape, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Imagine that, Jesus becoming obedient, God becoming obedient to the Father, even death on earth. Across. So we see there that Jesus is our example of humility. There's a great passage. In fact, why don't you just keep your finger here and let's look at the Gospel of Mark where we can see that lived out his example. In Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus' disciples, James and John, in verse 35 through 45. They are arguing with one another as we see in other places. We see disciples arguing about who the greatest is, and there is a conversation that takes place. In verse 35 of Mark chapter 10, James and John, the son of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, They began to be indignant at James and John. So what's taking place here? These two disciples, James and John, wanted a prominent place beside Jesus. And they were arguing, help me to be there. And Jesus is saying, you don't know what you're asking. You're not going to be able to follow what I've done? Oh yeah, we got this. We have no problem doing that. No, no you don't. So now we find out that the disciples, in verse 41, the other ten are upset. Why are they upset? Likely because they wanted that predominant place. And then look at what it says in verse 42 and 43. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus here is not scolding the disciples for their desire for greatness. Rather, he is just redefining what greatness is. Not to be served but to serve. And he says there's only one way if you want to experience greatness. I didn't watch much football last night, but I saw a highlight in the first quarter of the Bills and uh, Patriots game of this long pass thrown by the Patriots quarterback and the safety, Micah Hyde, made this brilliant interception. And, And it would be so common for our commentators to say, that is true greatness. But this is what Jesus says, true greatness Is when you take the form of a servant and you serve others. He flips it. And so the one that visits our shut ins, the one that gives them rides here and there, the one that dusts off the piano, the one that locks up the doors when everyone is gone here at church, the one who writes notes of encouragement to people in their Bible study or throughout the church the one who prepares a meal or or cleans a house when no one else knows about it. Jesus would say, that, that right there is greatness. Jesus is our example of humility. A truly humble man is hard to find, yet God delights to honor such selfless people. Booker T. Washington, the renowned black educator, was an outstanding example of this. Shortly after he took over the presidency at Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking in an exclusive section of town when he was stopped by a wealthy white woman. Not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked if he would like to earn a few bucks by chopping wood. Because he had no pressing business at the moment, Professor Washington smiled. "'rolled up his sleeves and proceeded to do the humble chore she had requested. "'When he was finished, he carried the logs into the house "'and stacked them by the fireplace. "'A little girl recognized him and later revealed his identity to the lady. "'The next morning, the embarrassed woman went to Mr. Washington "'in his office at the institute and apologized profusely. "'Oh, it's perfectly all right, madame,' he he replied.' Occasionally I enjoy to do a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. She shook his hand warmly and assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. Not long afterward, she showed her admiration by persuading some wealthy acquaintances to join her in donating thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee Institute. And then finally... As we look at this passage, not only does humility required for us to enter into a relationship with God, humility is also something that becomes a way of life for a child of God. Jesus is our example of humility. I think you'll be interested to see that God exalts, God exalts, honors the humble. And that's what we see here in Philippians chapter two, the last part of this section of Scripture. in Philippians two. In in verse 9 and following, it says, Therefore, that is, in light of Jesus humbling himself, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what does God do with the person who is humble. The person that has humbled themselves, He honors them. That's what it said back there in Luke 18 verse 14. "For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted." The great Chinese missionary, Hudson Taylor, who accomplished much for the work of God. One day there were two women in Shanghai that said, I wonder if Hudson Taylor ever struggles with pride when you consider all that he has done. So one of the women decided to ask Mr. Taylor's wife, Maria, about it. Maria promised the woman that she would find out. When Mrs. Taylor asked her husband if he was ever tempted to pride, he was surprised. Proud Proud about what? About all the things you've done, his wife explained. Taylor responded, I never knew I had done anything. So true humility is realizing that if there's anything good in our life, it's what God has done through us. Let me just read to you some of these blessings that we see that come from humility. You see them there in your outline. Proverbs 18 verse 12 says, Before a destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 11:2, or Psalm 25 verse 9, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way." Or Proverbs 22 verse four, "The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life." Or is there anyone here? that would say, I could use a little personal revival. Listen to what it says there in Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabited eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is drawn to the humble. God is drawn to the broken. So this morning, do you find yourself in life right now being thrown off into the pool where you are in beyond what you are capable of treading? You are unable to swim safely to the other side. Are you struggling today? Has humility come to your life? It's not a bad thing. See it as your friend See it as a way of seeing your need, an accurate need for God's grace in your life. Here's what I would urge you to do. Express your dependence on Him. You need Him to save you of your sin, and you need Him to direct your life. Let's take some time today and let's have a time of prayer and reflect on our need for humility. Oh, Lord, may God bring humility and may our church be known as a humble people, aware of how holy and righteous and God is and the sin of our own life and how much we need to be saved from that sin and having ongoing grace to carry out what God has called us to. As the music team comes, why don't you bow your head and let's have a word of prayer together. Father, as we look over the landscape of the Scriptures, what we see is this theme, that you, you go to people that are, what the Bible says, broken and contrite, those who are humble, those who come and say, I'm stuck here. I, I can't even tread water right now. I lack the personal righteousness to enter into a relationship with you, I'm, I'm completely bankrupt there. I need you to come and rescue me. And the promise here there is of scripture that if we will call out sincerely, with full awareness of the bankruptcy of our own good deeds, that that's where the joy is. Is that blessed are those who are forgiven we can be forgiven of our sins. So, loved one, this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, I would say call out to Him to save you, to rescue you from your sins. But even once you are saved from your sins, it seems as if God continually allows those circumstances in our life where we're not sure which way to turn or where we feel like we are just overwhelmed. And I would remind you that that humility is your friend. It positions you in a place where you have to look up and look to the scriptures and look for answers there. So do that. Call out to him today. Express your need for him. Cry out. Say, God, please help me with this situation. Change my heart or change these circumstances. I need your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.